This is the More Than Right Podcast, an independent view of politics and American culture. I'm your host, Steve Lopez. The More Than Right Podcast came to an end before the culmination of the Obama administration's tenure. At the time, It never dawned on me that a new political movement was brewing in America. And then, an irascible billionaire real estate developer and reality TV star descended a gaudy gold escalator in the New York Tower that bears his name. That man was Donald J. Trump. When Trump announced to a throng of press that he would seek the Republican nomination for president, their first reaction was to dismiss him as a joke then relentlessly attack his blunt stance on immigration as racist. But as the GOP primary season moved forward, so did Trump's standing with Republican voters. It seemed they finally had their fill with the GOP's empty suits, the men who talked the talk but never walked the walk. Trump then attacked the war-hero conservative champion, Senator John McCain of Arizona. When Trump held a campaign rally in Phoenix in July of 2015, McCain called Trump's ardent supporters crazies. In response, Trump said of McCain, He's not a war hero. He's a hero because he was captured. I like people that weren't captured, okay? And so conservatives began to rally to Trump's competition whether it be arch-conservative Senator Ted Cruz or libertarian hero Senator Rand Paul. The editors at the conservative journal National Review even published an entire issue titled Against Trump. President George W. Bush's political Svengali, Karl Rove, also held a Stop Trump conclave at a fashionable seaside resort in Georgia, with such luminaries in attendance as then-GOP Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell, then-GOP Speaker of the House Paul Ryan, Conservative Weekly Standard Editor Bill Kristol, Google co-founder Larry Page, and Apple CEO Tim Cook, an odd alliance of establishment Republicans and the Democratic Party's big tech contributors, united in their panic over an improbable Trump presidency. But the panic was unwarranted, the New York Times insisted, the morning of November 3, 2016. According to their crack polling team, Hillary Clinton had an 87% advantage over Trump, and the Times assured its readers that Hillary Clinton would be the nation's first female president. The next morning, however, howls of disappointment were heard coast to coast. Donald Trump, a man who never held public office, would be the nation's 45th president. He miraculously sidestepped hostile Democrats, an attack dog press, critical conservative opinion makers, and an army of professional Republican politicians. So, what changed? Trump inspired forgotten Americans to register as Republicans, many of whom never voted in their lives. This expanded the base of the Republican Party which proceeded to abandon ineffectual conservatism in favor of Trump's more robust America First populism. And so, the Make America Great Again, or MAGA movement, began. 
a movement whose leader faced stiff political opposition from Washington's bipartisan swamp the moment he raised his right hand to take the oath of office. Meanwhile, using the manufactured evidence contained in British spy Christopher Steele's anti-Trump dossier, which was paid for by the Democratic National Committee and the Hillary Clinton campaign, U.S. intelligence agencies began a smear campaign with the aid of the mainstream media to discredit Trump as a spy for Russia. And the FBI also launched a counterintelligence probe of members of Trump's 2016 campaign. The Justice Department followed suit with its appointment of a special counsel in the person of former FBI Director Robert Mueller. It all came to nothing. A participant in the Trump-Russia collusion caper was Hillary Clinton attorney Michael Sussman. He's standing trial for lying to the FBI when claiming he did not represent any client when presenting the accusation that Trump communicated by means of a computerized back channel to Alpha Bank, a Russian financial institution tied to the Kremlin. This, too, proved false. The Russia gambit may have failed, but the COVID-19 pandemic provided a pretext to expand America's unverifiable vote-by-mail system in time for the 2020 presidential election. What wild tales of Russian interference in our elections failed to do, fraudulent mail-in ballots accomplished and Trump was removed from office. So fearful was our political class that Trump would continue inspiring the great unwashed of America, big tech companies beholden to Washington for their billion-dollar monopolies banned the deposed leader from their platforms. Today, inflation not seen in four decades menaces the financial security of Americans, as does the unprecedented rise in gas prices. Shortages in consumer goods has store shelves empty, which includes formula to feed the nation's infants. And Wall Street analysts predict a recession is imminent. But the Biden administration fears the rise of white supremacy, the improper use of personal pronouns, so-called misinformation left uncensored, and the threat posed by what he calls ultra-maga. Ah, yes, ultra-maga a movement comprised of those Americans abandoned by both political parties long ago. Folks the late Senator John McCain called crazies. Folks Hillary Clinton famously damned as deplorables. Folks, faux President Joe Biden said, are, quote, the most extreme political organization that's existed in American history, in recent American history, unquote. Biden is not alone. His view is held by many within the GOP hierarchy, and among many, if not most, Republican lawmakers in Washington. That's understandable in light of Trump's call for the defamed members of the MAGA movement to change the GOP by voting against incumbents, and for their challengers, in the Republican primaries. As of this recording, 95.8% of Trump's endorsed primary candidates have won. And with generic polls finding a vast majority of Americans believing the country is headed in the wrong direction, many MAGA Republicans will likely be heading to Washington very soon. And as Biden's poll numbers continue to decline, the political fortunes of the man dismissed by the press and attacked by the forces of America's deep state rises. 
and that man is the once and future President of the United States, Donald J. Trump. Since the publication of the Book of Common Prayer in 1549, has a single source had so much influence over the popular imagination. Twitter, the social media site founded in 2006, has a global audience of 206 million users. It may limit them to a meager 280 characters in communicating their message to the world, but that limitation hasn't hampered their influence. Although other social media platforms like Facebook have much larger audiences, Twitter outshines them by virtue of its influencers, such as politicians, journalists, and notable public figures. Like other such platforms, Twitter began censoring and outright banning voices in the lead-up to the 2020 presidential election for violations of its nebulous community standards. Those banned included the granddaddy of conspiracy theorists, Alex Jones, and gay conservative internet troll Milo Yiannopoulos. But two weeks before Election Day 2020, the New York Post published a series of bombshell articles concerning the contents of an Apple laptop computer that once belonged to Hunter Biden, son of then-Democratic presidential candidate Joe Biden. The articles contained email communications regarding shady overseas business deals with shady Chinese, Russian, and Ukrainian oligarchs that netted young Biden millions of dollars. In an email to family, Hunter laments giving a large cut of his hard-earned gains to the, quote, big guy, unquote, his father, Joe Biden. Twitter suppressed the story by suspending the New York Post's account, hastily implementing algorithms that prevented users from passing the story along. Facebook followed in Twitter's footsteps. At first, the platforms claimed the emails were the product of hacking and should be suppressed to protect Hunter's privacy. But it turned out the laptop in question was actually the property of the computer repairman who kept it in lieu of payment. Then, an open letter signed by 51 former U.S. intelligence community officials claimed the laptop contents were the product of Russian disinformation. And so, the mainstream media banished all reporting on the issue until recently, two years after the fact. Last March, a Media Research Center poll found that 16% of Biden supporters would not have voted for old Joe had they been aware of the Hunter laptop saga. Big tech suppression, disinformation by deep state agencies, omissions by legacy media, and problematic mail-in ballots saddled the country with a barely coherent chief executive and an embarrassment of a vice president who utters meaningless word salads while on the world stage. And Twitter joined with other social media sites in banning President Trump from the public square. Enter billionaire Elon Musk. When he submitted a filing with the Securities and Exchange Commission 
stating he intended to purchase Twitter for $45 billion and take it private, the Twitterverse was at first stunned. But when he later said his reason was to restore free speech to the platform, Twitter's leftist trolls and the media's heavy hitters raged in anger. Up to that point, it was just assumed members of the press supported free speech. After all, isn't speech protected by the Constitution's First Amendment? You know, the same amendment that protects a free press from interference by the government? But suddenly, a new phrase came into fashion. Content moderation. And doesn't that sound a lot better than the mean old term, censorship? CNN's Brian Stelter said the kind of total freedom Musk advocates for Twitter was like a party he would not attend. And presto changeo, the mainstream media is suddenly against what it now calls free speech absolutism. If Musk's freedom of speech stance wasn't frightening enough for the champions of this new brand of American authoritarianism, the billionaire then said Twitter's banning President Trump from its platform was wrong. Quote, I think it was a morally bad decision to be clear and foolish in the extreme. It alienated a large part of the country and did not ultimately result in Donald Trump not having a voice, unquote. And just when it seemed Musk had overcome all obstacles to his taking the reins at Twitter, the press reported he was the target of Justice Department and SEC investigations. And shortly thereafter, a female SpaceX contractor came forward and accused Musk of sexual assault. All this because one man decided to put a dent in government-sanctioned content moderation, a.k.a. censorship, designed to promote homogenized political groupthink. Well, the good news is that public pressure forced the Biden administration to suspend its so-called disinformation board. Disinformation, as you must know by now, is a term denoting a difference of opinion. It was an addition to the duties performed by the Department of Homeland Security, like the supposed protection of our southern border. But its appointed leader, Nina Jankowitz, was a font of disinformation herself. Like when she dismissed the Hunter Biden laptop story as nothing more than Russian disinformation, or when she hyped the credibility of British spy Christopher Steele, the author of the now-discredited anti-Trump dossier. And during the 2016 presidential campaign, Jankowitz predicted a Trump presidency would, quote, embolden ISIS, unquote. President Trump, of course, stopped the expansion of ISIS, diminished its territory, and killed its terrorist leader, Abu Bakr al-Baghdadi. So what brought down the DHS board so soon after its founding? According to Jankowitz, and I'm sure you guessed it by now, it was disinformation. She told MSNBC, quote, Unfortunately and ironically, we were undone exactly by a disinformation campaign coming from folks who apparently want to put our national security behind their own personal political ambitions, unquote. Translation, I and the Biden administration's Ministry of Truth were undone by freedom-loving people those who speak, well, freely. That concludes this edition of the More Than Right podcast. If you wish to make a comment, 
you can contact the show at morethanrightpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and until next time, this is Steve Lopez.